I'm sorry, Ben. Oh, no. Man, I'm out of, I'm out, I miss one week and I'm out of touch. If you're a guest and you're here the first time with us, man, I'm sorry. Uh, I've done this before, I promise you. Uh, please raise your hand. And we got a little uh, card we want to give you. And when you leave today, if you stop out at the guest services desk, you'll get something from Starbucks. If you like Starbucks, raise your hand. At least get something from Starbucks. And uh, raise them a pie if you don't mind. And just fill out the card. And we have a record of your visit with us. And we thank you for coming and worshiping God with us today. And hopefully, after I messed all this up, you'll still come back next week. And that's all good, man. God bless. Next week, we return to our regularly scheduled programming, <laughs> and it'll be good. Uh, thanks for uh, suffering through me for another week. Um, but as Pastor Mike was saying something, I thought, you know what? But don't turn the, the, the recording on yet. Hold on. Let's, let's make this a surprise. Would you write, Pastor and Jason, a message in the book of Daniel? We're talking about standing up for truth. Super excited because several of you have said that you've taken the, the Daniel challenge and you're actually reading uh, the book of Daniel um, during this, this passage or during this, this uh, study, which is cool. Um, had a conversation with somebody. We had a great time at um, that Christian's graduation party yesterday. And somebody was talking about how um, they enjoy getting into some of these books that they don't normally get to read a whole lot, but they're not real familiar with them, right? So I thought, you know, I'm going to bring some of the, the smaller books that I studied, okay? Uh, there are some big ones in my library, right? There's some, and I love them. I thought I'd just bring some of the smaller ones so you can take a look and see. If you're interested, this one's called The Bare Bones Bible Facts. It's by Jim George. Uh, it goes through and, and just kind of says, hey, these are the, the critical pieces. And this is some, here, here's like a paragraph or two about the covenant, about Daniel, about, Nebuch- about what was going on, right? And then here's, um, the bare bones Bible biographies, right? This is this is a you're going to get like two pages brief on who Paul was, on who Daniel was, now, the, the the main characters of the Bible, and it can really help to open up what your uh, your Bible study is. And then this one is called the Bare Bones Bible Handbook. This one's for teenagers because that's where I'm at, right? That's my my mindset. But there's also one for adults. Um, it's same same guy. Jim George wrote all of these just kind of helps you to get um, that, that, that understanding of um, what you're reading, and, and they're really easy, right? It's super, super, like we're not talking about you got to go to get a master's degree in theology, right? This is good stuff that, that lets you really understand uh, what you're reading, and we're, we're reading about Daniel, and we're trying to understand what happened in Daniel. Why did Daniel take a stand? Why did he need to take a stand and and I'm excited that we're going through chapter four today. I, I misspoke last week a couple of times. I didn't know I was going to be speaking again this week, so I apologize. It wasn't a lie, I promise. Um, and then I also thought there were only four passages that we were looking at. We're looking at five, so this is going to be a five-week study. Um, but we're we're just going to do sort of a flyby of of chapter four today. Um, there's some really good information, and I really think if you go home this week and you read chapter 4 after we've studied it today, it'll really be powerful for you. We discussed last week that Daniel takes place in a time of the Babylonian Empire. Um, this was the first great global empire. When we think of the ancient empires, the ancient rulers, a lot of times this is where we start. Okay, These are the guys, these are the first ones that had those really cool um, curly beards, 
right? The ones that have the, the really tight curls, and, and you're like, man, that's cool. I wish I could have that. Clint's working on that. Um, and this is where the seventh wonder of the ancient world is. The hanging gardens of Babylon um, were located in Babylon, believe it or not. Um, so this is the, the, the most, the, the original of the empires. It, it takes over most of um, the Middle East, even some of Europe. And they would eventually be conquered by the Persians. So if you're thinking Persians, you're thinking Xerxes, um, and maybe you're thinking that the, the battle that, that where the, uh, the battle of Thermopylae, where the 300 Spartans stood against Xerxes and his army, right? Um, so, so that's this group. And then after that comes the Greeks and, and, and Alexander the Great. He takes over um, the Persian Empire or the Assyrian Empire. Uh, and then they were conquered by the Romans, right? And we actually see that. If you read Daniel this week, you actually got to see a a picture of that because one of the dreams that Daniel interprets in Daniel chapter 2 is about that very thing, that that's what's going to happen. These are the, the different empires. But last week we saw that these Israelite boys stood up for the ways of the Lord. And they said, hey, let us not defile ourselves. Let us live by God's law. And recall that we said the book of Daniel is a series of spiritual battles where Daniel and his crew stood for God and God gave them the victory. We're going to see another victory today. And these battles hopefully are an encouragement for us. They should be an encouragement as we understand that we live in a very hedonistic time. We live in a time where nobody wants anything to do with the God of the Bible. And here we see Daniel stand up to a vicious king. Remember Saddam Hussein? Anybody remember Saddam Hussein? So Saddam Hussein, he said his thought was that he was the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, the guy we're looking at today. His goal was to be as vicious as Nebuchadnezzar. That was his goal. That was his stated goal, was to be as evil as this guy. So this is who Daniel is standing out to. This is who Daniel is standing up to. And as we recall, he's going to have to put on the whole armor of God. Remember we talked about that last week, Ephesians 6.10? Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand. How do we stand? How does Daniel show us what Paul called us to do? Last week, we talked about what Paul called us to do in Ephesians chapter 6. Today, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, but don't get ahead of me because we've got some work to do, all right? Today, we're going to see how biblical confrontation can lead to great glorification of the God who won the battle for our souls, the God who provided the gift of salvation to mankind. 
Before we see Daniel prove God's great name, let's take a look and let's consider our confrontation, right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of points here. What do we normally do? What do we normally think of when we think of confrontation? Some normal confrontational norms. Well, number one, some are unwilling to confront, right? Some are unwilling to confront. They, they don't want to be a confrontational person. They just try to get by, right? Let's just, let's just go with the flow. Let's not um, get in trouble. That's not my thing, right? That's not my responsibility. Frog coffee, right? Isn't that where that comes from? Not my thing. Live and let live. Don't judge. If I don't judge you, you don't judge me, right? You consider what Romans chapter 1 says, we are called to judge. We are called to judge what is right and what is wrong. And if you study Romans chapter 1 and you see that people will rejoice in sin and that God will stand against them. We don't want to be those that are being stood against. But why do I not confront? Life is just easier, right? If I could just let the, the water flow off me like it flows off a duck's back. You heard that term, right? Just let it go. Let it go. Right? Confrontation is uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to make an uncomfortable situation. I don't want things to be difficult in my home or, or at work, in my job. I'm afraid how it's going to go down. I just don't know what the result is going to be. Raise your hand if this is you. There's a lot of you who aren't raising your hand because you don't want to be confrontational, and I get it. <laughs> I get it. But a lot of times we're just unwilling to confront, right? Or maybe we're unable to confront. We're, we're, we just don't know how. Don't know how to do it. Maybe um, you, you didn't go through that class in high school, right? Remember everybody got a, a confrontation 101 class? No. We didn't get a confrontation 101 class. Maybe my, my parents didn't teach me how to confront. They didn't teach me how to have a productive, difficult conversation. So I just don't do it. And we, we use that as an excuse, right? Instead of having a conversation, I just use my hand to confront. Or one finger, right? Like, that's how I, I confront. It's, it's, it's so, um, so efficient to just use one finger. To confront somebody, right? This finger, you're thinking the wrong finger. Come on, people. I know what finger you're thinking. But I, I, I just want to confront with my fingers and not with my words. It's the same thing we say. I, I don't know how to share my faith, so I don't do that either. I don't know how to sing, so I don't sing and worship. Today, my hope is that this study will give us some confidence and what biblical confrontation looks like. But then there's some of you, and if we talk about confrontation, you're like, I am all in. And the problem is that there's some unloving confrontation going on, right? And rather than, um, let me speak the truth in love, you're like, let me speak the truth, right? Now let's just get down to brass tacks. This is how it's going to be, right? And so some of us, we're unloving in our confrontation. This has been social media's greatest addition to our culture. People used to just think about their frustrations, and now they have this worldwide platform that they get to share 
everything, right? Sometimes it's helpful and instructive, right? So maybe you can have an online review and, and somebody reads it and says, ah, maybe I don't want to give my business there. Or, or, hey, this is a good company I could give my business. Maybe they online review, they say, we messed this up. We need to get this right. We need to fix this. Or it's the Twitter trolls, right? And usually we just tear down someone who we don't really like. It's hard to see value there. But since this is what's modeled for us, I think this is oftentimes what we think of when we think of confrontation. If I don't like the president's policy, then I'm just going to talk about his skin tone. Whether his skin tone is natural or whether it's been helped with a tanning bed, right? Like, like I'm just going to go to the lowest place I can get. I'm not going to talk about issues. I'm not going to have an honest conversation. I'm just going to blast him. And we've limited our confrontation to 280 characters or less, which at least it was 140, so we've gotten better. But in the process, we've created this drive-by confrontation culture where we say, I'm just going to go and I'm going to tear somebody apart and I don't care about the consequences. I don't have to have a relationship with that person so that, so that we can actually have some growth and some change and some productivity. Instead, I'm just going to tell you how wrong you are and what a jerk I am. I mean, and it's not much better in the church. Some of you like to have roast pasture for lunch every Sunday afternoon. Or maybe it's deep fried Sunday school teacher or music ministry. Maybe you complain about the leadership or the song service or the PowerPoint or the Sunday school or that little speck of dust that the vacuum cleaner didn't get. And we complain and we complain and, and we blast the church in private or, or however we do it. But rather than seeking to find a meaningful dialogue, we just attack. So this morning we're going to see that Daniel confronts Nebuchadnezzar really well. And the result of that confrontation isn't that Nebuchadnezzar changes. Moms and dads with kids that aren't doing aren't living the life that you wish that they were living, this should be a super super encouraging passage for you. Because Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, "O king, if you don't change your ways, life is going to become super hard for you." And the king says, no thanks. And then for seven years, the king is going to literally act like a cow. Where all he eats is grass, all he does, he's just com completely mad, insane. No amount of medication is going to help him. And for seven years, he lives that way before he comes back to God. So some of you parents who are struggling and frustrated and sad and, and, and angry at how, or, or what, whoever you've got in your life. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. Keep caring for them because just because they're not where you think they should be right now doesn't mean God isn't still at work in their life. So Daniel's going to confront King Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that story in Daniel 4, verses 4 through 18. Again, um, if we were doing verse by verse, we'd spend a whole lot of time here. We're just going to fly by, right? Daniel heard the same dream that the other wise men had heard, and his jaw literally drops. 
He's, he, he, he can't figure it out. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Right? I just closed my Bible app. Sorry. So in verse 19, Daniel, they called Daniel, um, and the Lord brings the dream, and he says, I don't know what to do. I am struggling. Um, sorry, I am verse... Verse 8. The spirit of the holy gods is in him. I told him the dream. O Belteshazzar, chief of the musicians, I know that the, the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream. And Daniel paused. He doesn't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you, king, because this is going to be such a difficult dream for you to hear. This is a kill the messenger kind of a place, right? So um, if the bad news is coming, then it's often going to be accompanied by a knife, right? That you're, you're not going to live if you are delivering bad news to the king. So honestly, Daniel's cool with, with, with taking a brief pause here because none of the other wise men, even though they potentially knew what was going on, none of the other wise men are brave enough to say what's happening. So he interprets one of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams in the past. We talked about that. Uh, this dream that, that foretold the rise and the fall of the world's great kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But this dream isn't a good dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel is hesitant, but in verse 19, he begins his explanation. And 19 to 27, Daniel tells the king what's going on in the dream. And um, in verses 20 to 22, Nebuchadnezzar had, and Babylon had become a great tree, this great tree that blessed everyone. Just think about the, a, a huge tree, and, and, and in the tree branches you can see um, the birds, right, and, you, and the squirrels climbing up in the tree, and it's providing all of this, this nourishment and this nutrition, and, and um, inside or underneath the tree there's this great amount of shade, so uh, the cows and, and, and the beasts of the field are under the tree getting their, their shade and, and their, their rest from the hot day. That's the picture that we have of what Babylon and literally what Nebuchadnezzar had become. He had brought prosperity and the people around him and under him were blessed. Verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. You, O king, are this great tree. But then in verse 23, there's, a, there's an angel. Nebuchadnezzar called the angel a watcher, a holy one. And this angel comes down and he says, the tree is going to have to be cut down. The tree, because of its pride, is going to have to be come down. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to be turned into one who suffers with lycanthropy. Say that three times fast. That's what the, uh, the psychological condition is called, lycanthropy, or lycanthropy, something like that, where you think you're an animal. You literally think you're an animal. There are documented cases of people who have suffered with, with lycanthropy uh, in modern day. I was, did some research on this. There was a guy in England in the 60s, um, and they, he was in this, um, this beautiful... Um, beautifully landscaped 
um, psychological hospital. And all day, every day, he walked around and just ate grass. And he never, he had, he had water and grass, and that was it. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's going to be. That's the, 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 the difficulty that Nebuchadnezzar is going to face. Imagine if that happened to one of our world leaders today. What would, the trolls would be all over it, right? And there's a divine warning. And Daniel begs the king to heed the dream and change his ways. Daniel 4.27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity. And Nebuchadnezzar said, and no. Thanks for your time. See ya. And then Pastor Mike read what happens. A year to the day later, his punishment comes. Well, then in verses 34 to 37, Nebuchadnezzar <coughs> wraps up his psychological torment and his restoration brings glory to God. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. What a great story. What a great end to the story. After all of this happened, I realized not that I needed psychological help, not that, that um, somebody had poisoned my water and, and made me crazy for seven years. I realized that the holy God of Israel is the one worthy of praise. And consider, if we jump back to verse, verse 1 of this chapter, here is what he says. This is what, what, what this letter is. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, verse 2 it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. As a result of all of this, his response is, God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of glory and honor. Not the gods that, we remember last week we talked about that they renamed Daniel and the crew after their own little g-gods. And here, Nebuchadnezzar says, the God is the only one worthy of praise. I am positive that when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar. Because he allowed, he, the one with the most power of anybody up to this time in history, he came to understand and glorify God. But as Daniel found well-intentioned, truth-based confrontation can, can have fantastic results, even if it takes a while to see them. And I think we're seeing Daniel illustrating Paul's instruction in confrontation. Uh, what was Paul's instruction on confrontation? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you for asking that question. Galatians chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six, it's right here on the screen. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we've got four fill-in-the-blanks there for you. The first one is 
confront with a heart of humility. When you find yourself in that situation, confront with a heart of humility. And we're going to find ourselves in that situation. You're going to find yourself, Pastor Mike talks about um, when Christian got a tattoo and he had to confront him, right? We find ourselves in those situations. He's just braver than I am. I don't want to face my kids after I tell on them in church, right? But we have those confrontations too. My wife and I had a confrontational experience last night about something where I messed up and she needed to bring it to my attention. Don't you worry about what it was. <laughs> that was an A-B conversation, so see your way out of it. But confront with a heart of humility. Approach matters when confronting someone. Your approach to them matters. Just like when Daniel comes and he says, Oh, king, I really wish this was about somebody else. I, I really wish that I was talking about one of your enemies. But, but I'm not. Or in verse 27 when he says, I beg you, O king, to repent and stop this from happening. I beg of you to change your ways. See, this wasn't a, a, a gotcha kind of confrontation. This wasn't a, oh, I'm going to get the king, I'm going to overthrow him. Like Daniel's really high ranked. Okay, He's, he's the governor of Babylon, of, of the, the territory where the capital city is. He's a really high ranked guy. This could have been his way of saying, ah, we've got to get rid of the king. But that's not what it is. Daniel expressed a heart of humility, a heart that honestly cared for the well-being of the king and the kingdom. And humility is essential to biblical confrontation. If the person you're bringing confrontation to perceives that you have improper motives, they're going to respond negatively. What are some ways that somebody's going to respond negatively? This one's an actual asking question for you to respond positively. Well, what are some ways that people are going to respond negatively? Tell you off? Ignore you? Accuse you? Rebel against what you said? What's that? Make fun of you? <laughs> Use their finger? Not the, maybe the pointer finger, but maybe the other one too. What's that? Interrupt you? Sometimes we come at somebody because we want to make ourselves look or feel better in comparison, right? Or sometimes we want to manipulate a situation to get to a, an agenda that we want. Sometimes it's because we just need to be right. You have a different perspective than I do, and I need to be right. Being right is important, but it's being right with God that should be the goal. Confront, on our second fill-in-the-blank, with a goal of restoration, with a goal of being right with God. Daniel wanted the king to be the man God wanted him to be, Break off your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. 
Please, king, I beg of you. And Paul instructs that believers in the church do the same. In verse 1, he says, restore, of Galatians chapter 6, restore that person. That restored is literally, it's, it's a medical term that means to mend or put right, repair. The idea is setting a broken bone or, or repairing a dislocated limb. Restore the brother or sister to usefulness through confrontation, loving confrontation. Restore the strained relationship through loving confrontation. And I just think about how when Paul talks about the body in 1 Corinthians 12, this makes so much sense. If, you're, if you've got a sprained finger, you need to restore it so that you can use it again. If you have a broken arm or a broken wrist, you need to restore it so you can use it again. If we're not confronting in the church, then we're missing out on the opportunity to have a body of believers that is working in the way that it's supposed to. But that has to be that loving, biblical confrontation. What are the goals of confrontation? We sent this out in the leadership letter this week. Um, John Maxwell says the goals of confrontation are clarification, gaining a better understanding of the person and the situation, change, spiritual growth through the situation for both of us, relationship should deepen that relationship with that you have with that person. Respect, it will raise the amount of respect for the person who brings the confrontation, but also for the organization as a whole, for the church as a whole, if we have a, a, a spirit of loving confrontation. And security, people feel safe knowing that leaders are strong enough to stand for what's right. So we... we want to confront with a goal of restoration, but we also want to confront with an abundance of caution. There in verse 1, in, in, uh, at the end of verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we get down in the trenches with someone who has stumbled, it's easy for us to get dirty. How many pastors have pursued affairs with women they were doing marriage counseling with? How easy is it for you to go to lunch with that person and listen to their complaints and join in the complaining as opposed to bringing them up above the difficult situation? Keep watch. Be vigilant. The King James says, consider thyself. When you're walking that path of restoration with a brother or a sister in Christ, it's super important to watch your step. We're walking through a minefield, and we know it. I'm, going, I'm not tiptoeing through the tulips today. I know this is going to be a difficult conversation. I need to go in prepared for it. Lovingly prepared. And proceed with an abundance of caution. But in my text here, I bolded the word proceed. Because what Paul says is not, if it looks like it's going to be too difficult, then don't worry about it. Paul doesn't say, if you think you might stumble, 
just don't worry about it. That's where, where, where Matthew 18 comes in, right? That's where go get another brother or sister in Christ and do it together because then you guys can keep each other from stumbling. But again, if we just let that broken bone, that torn muscle go, the church isn't going to function the way that God intended. And that believer is going to continue to stray and continue to struggle. Confront finally with a desire for unity. I know you're saying finally. Thank you. With a desire for unity. Verse number two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what? Can you say that with me real quick? Because I think that's really critical. Bear one another's burdens. Say that one more time. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, if we're not confronting, we're not fulfilling the law of Christ. Whoa! Really? What does this mean? Burdens were a heavy load, a problem that you you can't bear by yourself, you can't carry alone, and sometimes it's a problem. Oftentimes it's a problem that I can't even see. You with me on that? Oftentimes you've got to confront somebody because they have an issue that they don't even know about. When, um, when, when Paul's talking about um, take the, the pole out of your eye before you take the speck out of somebody else, one of my professors in, college, or in, in seminary said, um, you're talking toothpicks and telephone poles. That's the imagery there. You've got a telephone pole in your eye. You've got to deal with that before you take out the toothpick. But he doesn't say don't take out the toothpick. Because that person doesn't even know. Help. Live life together. This one anothering. This is part of one anothering. This is part of, of, of living life together, of, of enjoying life together. That's, that's the value, one of the values of, of, of uh, small groups and of Sunday school. They, yeah, I'm going to do a... a, a I said I wasn't going to last week. I'm going to do a plug for Sunday school. Sunday school's awesome. We had a great Sunday school class this morning that, that Roy led. It's time to go. <laughs> Get into Sunday school. Get into growth groups. Confront with a desire for unity. Burdens, carry that burden that they don't know, um, that, that, that they can't carry alone. Bear, carrying with endurance for the long haul. When Paul says, bear one another's burdens, it's not, hey, let's go to lunch so I can tell you how wrong you are, and then peace out. It's, hey, let's go to lunch so we can talk about some issues that I see in your life and put together a strategy that we're going to work on it together for the next six months. Right? And the law of Christ, the law of loving your God, loving your neighbor, which fulfills the entire Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Prove your love for the other person, for the church, for Jesus himself, by putting aside your selfishness and getting into life lived with them. And it gets you on the same page, too. I've had confrontations. People confront me about things uh, twice in the last 30 days. I think it was 30 days. One was in the church, one was in my professional life. And in both situations, what we were able to do through the confrontation was 
go through a difficult conversation that led to a restored and fruitful friendship. An opportunity for us to rekindle the friendship of our youth, as it were. That probably sounds weird. But to get back to when, when we didn't have things in our way. That person brought their concerns to me and we got our perceptions restored and our relationship repaired. Unity and restoration were a big part. I, I brought some other books and I know this is silly. But the, part of the, the, the purpose of, of teaching and the purpose of a pastor is to equip the saints, right? Here's some other books. I, I, I did this one last week. I, I read out of this one. It's called The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. I think C.J. Mahaney is incredible as an author. This is called Humility. Um, I would never read a book on humility by somebody that I didn't think was incredibly humble. And C.J., even when he talks about the book, he talks about his humility. And he, I love the way he puts it. He says, when Paul says um, that I'm the chiefest of sinners, he said, the reason, because he was specifically asked, somebody asked him specifically about humility. It was, are you truly humble? And he said, I am not humble, but I understand humility. And he said, the reason that Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners is because Paul was so much more um, convinced of his own sin than of anybody else's around him. Because Paul looked at himself and understood his own sin and his own lack of humility. And I love, he, he puts that in here. But this is, book is called The Peacemaker. Um, fantastic book about um, building good relationships. We're not going to read a lot of it. Um, but we're, we are going to read out of this book this morning. Okay, So what, uh, it's, it's by Ken Sandy. It's called The Peacemaker. On page 49 he says this. The theme of peace and unity also occupied an important part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Peace and unity are so important that Jesus commands us to seek reconciliation with a brother, even ahead of worship. He teaches that we cannot love and worship God properly if we are at odds with another person and have not done everything in our power to be reconciled. He also reminds us that our Christian witness depends greatly on our commitment to seek peace and reconciliation with others. Confrontation is hard. It's hard because oftentimes we don't fully understand its importance, nor do we understand how to do it biblically. But as believers, we are called to be willing and able to confront in a loving fashion. Confront with humility. Confront for restoration, confront for unity, confront well, confront others. Lots of small confrontations eliminate the need for big confrontations. But confrontation isn't just for believers. You know what makes witnessing so difficult? It's confrontation. When I witness to somebody, I am telling them, you are a sinner. Anybody want to hear that? I'm confronting them with who they really are and with their eternity. That's what makes it so hard. 
We're just explaining it, how God judges, but that's what makes it so difficult. You know, there are three types. I, I, I always want to include the gospel when I'm talking in church, so give me just a couple more minutes. Because maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've never really understood what this whole Christianity thing is. Or maybe you're here this morning and you really, you've got somebody you really want to talk to about, about Jesus, but you don't know how. And maybe this can encourage you with that. But there are three types of sin. There's thoughts, there's words, and there's actions. My sin of my thoughts, my sin of my words, and my sin of my actions. And, and if you just do one of each of those, Every day, that puts you at a thousand sins a year. If we average 70 years, you're 70,000 sins by the time that you're done. Let's just round up to 100,000 because, I mean, <laughs> there's those extra coffee days, right? Those, those days where it took a, real, a lot not to kill your kids. And God takes us seriously, takes sin so seriously that he says you can go to hell for eternity after just one sin. Just one. And Nebuchadnezzar's sin was seeking his own glory along with other stuff probably. But God says just one time. So we come into the judgment seat. We come into the courtroom of God with 100,000 sins plus attached to us. And Jesus, the Son of God, is there as the defense attorney. And he has this perfect strategy. You know what his perfect strategy is? I already took the punishment for all of Ben's side and sin. So he can't be punished again. What a great strategy. Like, try to, try to put a hole in that one, right? But see, he, he's only your defense attorney. He only will provide that incredible defense strategy for you if he knows you. If while you were on earth, you called on the name of the Lord to be saved, and you said, I want a relationship with this God. I want a relationship with this Jesus. And the ultimate conflict resolution takes place when Jesus' sacrifice on the cross restores our relationship with God the Father, the Holy One of Israel. Have you accepted that? Is that true for you? Are, are you at one with God? Are you united with God or are you still at conflict? Romans says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were still enemies of God, while we were still at open conflict with him, he died for us. Have you accepted this peace with God? Believer, we have an obligation to confront biblically. We have an obligation to stand for truth with love in humility. This is the proof. This is the proof that we are believers. This is the proof that we have love for one another. This is the proof, the proof that two congregations came together instead of splitting, amen? is the proof to the world around us that we are his. That we love one another. That we work together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Like we asked last week,
What are you standing for? Is there somebody here this morning that you have difficulty with? Is there somebody here this morning that you need to go to and get things right with them? Man, we're going to have an opportunity for invitation here shortly where the musicians are going to come up and they're going to sing some songs and, and, um, or a song and we're going to be able to, to do some work with God right here on these steps. I've had to do that in the past. I'm not going to lie to you. With one of my, one of the guys that's on my spiritual idol list, I had to seek his forgiveness at the altar for some things I had said and done. It can be an incredible opportunity to restore relationships. Or maybe this morning you're just here and, and, and there's something else going on and, and the Lord talked to you through, through something completely, through, through a throwaway sentence that, that I didn't even put in my notes. But there was something and God said, I need you to do some real work with me this morning. Maybe you've got a heart of bitterness and, and, and your confrontation is not loving. Maybe there's something going on. Would you allow the Lord to work with you this morning? Would you say, yes, Lord, I will do business with you this morning? Father, we're so thankful for Daniel and uh, for the book of Galatians. We're so thankful for the opportunity that we've had this morning to see the value and the joy that comes through biblical, loving confrontation. Lord, it's not easy, but it's valuable. Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged to stand for truth, even through confrontation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?